0: The Bible reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I do give an opinion as one who by the Lord's mercy is faithful. Because of the present distress, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be released. Are you released from a wife? Do you not seek a wife? However, if you do get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life, and I am trying to spare you. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The time is limited, so from now on those who have wives should be as though they have none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as those who didn't own anything. And those who use a world as though they did not make full use of it. For this world in its current form is passing away. I want you to be with our concerns. The unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the married man is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. The unmarried woman, or virgin, is concerned about the things of the Lord, so that she may be holy, both in body and in spirit. But the married woman is concerned about the things of the world, how she may please her husband. I am saying this for you for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to Promote what is proper, and so you may do be devoted to the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin, he's engaged to, If she is getting beyond the usual age for the marriage, and he feels he should marry, he can do what he wants. He is not sinning. They can get married. But he who stands firm in his heart, who is under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, And has decided in his heart to keep her as his fiancee. Will do well. So then, he who marries his fiancee does well, but he he does not marry will do better. A wife is bound as long as her husband is living, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to anyone she wants, only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, in my opinion, and I think. That I also have the Spirit of God.
1: Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Isaac. I'm one of the assistant ministers here at our church. It is such an honour to come and to open up God's word with you all, uh, and for many of you joining online as well. Uh, Thank you, Lee, for that reading as well. Now, I'll take you back to my first week in Sydney. It was the first week I went to my new church as well. And I got chatting to a guy after the service, an old gentleman. Uh, And as we chatted, he found out that I was single. And he, you know where this is going to go, he said that, uh, what did he say exactly? He said, you're only ever half a person when you're single. Uh, He went on to say that I really shouldn't be in ministry as I won't understand married people and the divide it's just too big and that I should really just get married uh, and, and be more mature like he was. Um, I did later find out that he was grieving the loss of his wife a few months earlier. So there was some reasons, there was some grief behind it. Uh, but that was a pretty big way to meet this older gentleman. Uh, and even though he was probably in his 80s, I think he was heavily influenced by the lyrics of Taylor Swift, by... <laughs> Bachelor by the Disney Princess movies. Uh, Now, today, I think it is a little bit odd that I'm coming and I'm speaking to you about singleness on Father's Day, but we didn't plan it. It's just how it was, so let's roll with it. Uh, Now, uh, on Father's Day, we rightly celebrate our fathers and father figures. We kind of have donuts for all kinds of uh, men in the room with us today. And today, we'll think a bit about All the incredible gifts that God has given us are in fathers and father figures. And yet today we're asking this question, what is the point of singleness? What did that man think the point of singleness was? I think for that old gentleman that I met, it was just this waiting period till you got married. What was the point? And how might the meaning of singleness change us as a community? Uh, here's a few books that I've read uh, over a number of years that I'd love to encourage you to pick up. If you're interested in this topic, I'll leave it up there for a minute or so. Uh, and they've really helped and they've formed uh, a lot of what we'll talk about today. Now, in order to answer this question about the point of singleness, we'll clearly need to look at marriage as well. They're inextricably linked. Uh, and today, I sadly won't have the time to kind of slow down and think about every kind of person in all kinds of different single states you know people who might be uh, widowed people who might uh, have never married people who might be divorced or intentionally single or frustratingly single but I do trust today that this will be helpful as we have this big sweep of Scripture and kind of go through and see what does it say about singleness so to begin with our first point in the Old Covenant God fulfilled promises through flawed marriages so God's promise to Abraham, you might have heard it before. Genesis 12, I will, make you to, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. See, blessing was pro- promised first here to humanity through Abraham and his physical descendants. He'd have countless offspring, they'd be a blessing to the entire world. And it, so, it just so happens that God's promises to Abraham came about through making babies, particularly through the sons. So this drive for many children is the central kind of story in the Old Testament that we get to see God's promises unfold in many children. And yet we see that this great blessing comes through flawed marriages. Just think of Abraham. Uh, He was married to his half-sister when he was called by God and he even uh, sought out the slave that was in his house house hagar and sought a um, son through through her and i think as we look at just abraham himself it's a struggle to see him as you know the the pinnacle of humanity or the the thing that we should be striving for we do see that he had a flawed marriage and yet god used it to bring about his promises and i think in a simple way the the thrust of old testament ideas on this this topic of singleness and children is summarized in a verse in Psalms Psalm 127. Uh, you might have heard of this one before. It says, like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. See, if covenant blessing was experienced for Israel in the bearing of children within marriage, well then the converse is true as well. So our second Uh, point there in the old covenant singleness actually pointed to a curse and longed it it pointed to a curse and we're also going to see that uh, in singleness it was also the hope for uh, hope beyond itself but let's begin with this idea of curse now when i mention this you might even have your mind go to adam Um, maybe adam uh, before eve came along Uh, that's not actually what i'm referring to here See, after the creation of Adam, before the fall of humanity, what does God say to Adam? He declares, it's not good that the man should be alone. But in this narrative in Genesis, the problem isn't that Adam is single. The problem is that he has no community at all. There's no other person around. We are made for relationship. See, neither male or female on their own embody what it means to be fully human. We need each other. We're made for this community. So human beings were created with this inbuilt aching for otherness and to, to serve others. Now if this verse in Genesis was about a critique of his singleness rather than that he was totally alone, then there would be no redeeming of singleness. As this declaration comes before the fall of humanity, it would be saying that singleness is you know, always cursed, always terrible. It's irredeemable. But today I hope that we'll see that this is not the case and that actually pursuing singleness can be a godly choice, not simply a denial of how God has made us. So what I am referring to in this point is what we see throughout the Old Testament. Through through the Old Covenant, there was an inseparable link between offspring and blessing, like in Deuteronomy 7, where it describes that if they kept the stipulations of the Covenant, they'd be blessed and it says there shall be no there shall not be male or female barren among you so part of the blessing was that no one would be barren and so to be single or without children was to be cursed and some scriptures describing how this would result in having one's name blotted out of Israel kind of forgotten by their community and it should be no surprise then that in the Old Testament we don't actually find people who are voluntarily single. There is an example of Jeremiah, you might be familiar with him, where God calls him to pursue singleness, but it's for the sake of judgment against the people. Now this point that I've kind of opened up with today, it it might strike you as quite heavy. I do want to encourage you, I am single, so it gets better. Uh, (laughs) This is not the whole story. But I do want to kind of highlight how damaging it can be To continue to hold on to singleness as a curse, even subtly. To continue to hold on to this Old Testament idea. Because I think in subtle ways people have done this, even within the church. Many people in our world, and sadly many Christians, mistakenly see life as a quest to find a spouse, or a quest to find other people a spouse, and to set them up. I remember a mission trip that I was on, uh, and I just met the minister who was running this mission trip... Uh, and he just points to the, a lady across the other side of the room and says, what do you think? Uh, I said, oh, what, what are you asking? I don't know. And I was telling this friend of mine later that night, I was, we were driving back to college uh, and I told him this story and his mouth, his jaw just dropped because the same thing happened to him. The same minister tried to set him up with the same girl that night. And it was just a little bit odd. Or in the last church I was in, This one's more wholesome, I get it. Um, In the last three weeks I was at that church, three weeks in a row people tried to set me up with somebody from the church, different people, uh, and it was all very kind. I could see the heart behind it, and I took it as as a very flattering, nice thing. But taking collectively, it kind of helped me to see that singleness can often be seen as a problem needing to be fixed. So far today, we've seen how in the Old Testament, marriage... And children, well, they were seen as blessings. But before we go into the New Testament, let's think about some nuances here, just a couple of nuances. The first one, a singleness in the Old Testament also pointed to a hope beyond itself. So it wasn't just a curse. One of the most incredible shifts in the Bible, I think, and one of the parts that I really love going back to, is in the book of Isaiah. When we start to hear incredible promises of hope for those who are single suddenly single people are promised great blessing in the future and the point in which this takes place is really significant it's just after isaiah 53 the passage of jesus the suffering servant what happens straight after that so he talks about jesus the suffering servant the one pierced for our transgressions crushed for our iniquities the one who brought us peace well in the chapter that follows it we read of multiple single people who are blessed because of this suffering suffering servant. The next verse, Isaiah 54, it says, Sing, barren woman, you who never bore a child, burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So this infertile woman, who would have been considered cursed, sings, not because she has physical children, But somehow, without going into labour of her own, she has a gathering of many children. I'll suggest that that's spiritual children of her own. Or in a couple of chapters later, Isaiah 56, it says, "...and let no eunuch complain." So eunuch, somebody who could not have children. "...let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters i will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever see the eunuch will no longer think of himself as a dry tree as he's been given the promise of an everlasting relationship with the lord whereas in the old testament the name of a eunuch was blotted out and they were forgotten from their community here we see that their name goes on eternally they're they're remembered by god That's our first nuance, that there is this great hope in singleness. The second nuance we must remember is that marriages and childbearing in the Old Testament, in the Israelite community, did not actually achieve their mission that God gave them, the promises that God gave. I'll explain what I'm talking about here. See, flawed marriages did not actually achieve their mission. Marriage and offspring were fundamental to the fulfillment of God's promises, but the point of the old testament is to show that israel did not achieve its mission of its own self of its own steam isaiah and the prophets they start to speak of a different way that god's going to fulfill these promises through the root of jesse the branch and even they speak of the coming seed jesus you can see this idea in galatians chapter 3 verse 16 it says the promise the promises were spoken to abraham and to his seed scripture does not say and to to seeds meaning many people but and to your seed meaning one person who is christ see paul he looks over all of revelation on this topic and he sees he teaches us that all of the promises of god were fulfilled in the one seed in christ the israelites may have hoped that the promise would actually be achieved by their many offspring but instead it's through Jesus alone, the King. And so brothers and sisters, this is the good news of Jesus, that now married people and single people can experience experience spiritual blessing in Christ. So this is our next point uh, for today. Now that all spiritual blessings are in Christ, we're free to marry or free to be single because all blessings are in Christ. We see that in Ephesians chapter 1, it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Notice, these blessings, they're not just physical, they are spiritual in heaven. They're gained simply by being united with Jesus. And if you were to read further in Ephesians, you'll see all kinds of spiritual blessings that are... uh, explained there that we are chosen, that we're predestined, that we're adopted, we're forgiven, we're united to Christ, we have an eternal inheritance and we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. See, now that the source of our blessing is in Christ, we're free to choose if we marry or not because that doesn't change anything to do with our spiritual blessings, we have it all in Jesus. So let's first think about marriage. Well, marriage, for us now, those who trust in Jesus, New Testament believers, marriage is a challenge to embrace. Now, I say that marriage is a challenge because of what we read in 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, Verse 28, Paul describes marriage as involving many troubles. Uh, I wonder what goes through your mind as you hear those words today. The marriage will involve all kinds of troubles, as each partner is anxious to please the other as you throw kids into the mix, right? And one of the best experiences I've ever had was to join a prayer group with a a group of, I think it was seven other married guys from college. And every week we prayed and we just shared life together, the ups and downs. And that gave us both a realistic view of what married life looks like and what singleness looks like. And that was one of the best things, to see that actually this kind of incredible picture of marriage that sometimes gets idolised, it's not quite what it's about. So even with these troubles, the challenges of marriage is a good one to pursue. See, multiple times, Paul, he says that it's good to pursue marriage, that the person hasn't sinned if they marry, and even that they do well, and that it's a God-honoring state to be in and remain in. See, marriage, among many reasons, is a provision of God for sexual integrity. It talks about there, if somebody were to burn with passion... That marriage is a good gift from God to express such desires. To either pursue marriage for that kind of sexual integrity or continue on pursuing holiness in singleness. So whatever state you find yourself in, what we see in this part of God's Word is that sexual integrity is really important. And elsewhere in Scripture, God says that our bodies belong to Him. That we've been bought that we're owned by him we're indwelt by his spirit so we can't go on thinking that we can do whatever we want with our bodies because god owns our bodies <laughs> and just yesterday a friend of mine called me up and and he shared uh, that he'd stuffed up with porn and that he i uh, just wanted to talk to someone and basically in this conversation he shared how thankful he was that he was just seen as Perfectly righteous in Christ, forgiven in Jesus. And this is a kind of conversation that happens fairly regularly. There's probably about seven guys, that, uh, we, that I, I, friends that I have, that I would be willing to chat to about these things and they'd be willing to chat to me about. And, and those relationships take a lot of hard work, right, uh, to get to that point of uh, intimacy where you can share that and feel comfortable too. Uh, so my encouragement is to really um, nurture those friendships because we all need them. Uh, We're to carry each other's burdens and help each other kind of shine light into those areas of our life. And if you've realized today that there's not someone at the moment that you really can talk about that stuff, um, yeah, I'd be very happy to chat to you or any of the pastoral staff would be very happy to chat to you about these things. So we've thought about marriage, that it, uh, it involves troubles, but it's a good thing to pursue. Well, on the flip side, singleness is also described as a challenge but some might want to embrace it. So let's consider what Scripture says about why someone might freely choose singleness. Uh, Firstly, we need to recognize that we must be free to be single because our Lord Jesus was single. Uh, He was the complete human, so we can't say that anything was lacking in Him. Fruitfulness must abound in singleness. Secondly, a view of eternity will inform how we consider our marital status now. Now, Jesus taught that in heaven, we all will be single. Uh, No one will be given in marriage that will be like the angels. And yet we'll all be married to Christ as his bride. All single, all married. (laughs) Now this picture of heaven certainly doesn't mean that we have to be single now, but it sure can encourage us in our single state, if you're single when we consider the eternity of singleness that awaits us, that this is actually preparation for that time. Thirdly, Jesus, while teaching about eunuchs, he instructed that voluntary singleness for the kingdom would be a good thing for the person who could accept it. In Matthew 19, he spoke of the two types, uh, sorry, actually three types of eunuchs. Uh, Two of them were involuntary, people who were made that way, and one was voluntary. Uh, Here in this teaching, we see that a eunuch is no longer a symbol of reproach or curse. Instead, they can be a positive model of someone who has undistracted service of the Lord. So we see this teaching from Jesus about eunuchs, but in our modern-day context, we don't really have that sort of thing here in Australia, do we? I think it's actually helpful for us to recognise that most people who are single here in toon are single for a variety of reasons involving a mixture of both choice and circumstance voluntary and involuntary so it's actually quite hard to apply this text to some degree now fourthly we come to our passage in 1 corinthians 7 where paul repeats a familiar refrain remain as you are and you can see this in verse 26 see paul he gives a few reasons why a single person could gladly remain as they are. Now, verse 26 to 28, he talks about those who marry will have worldly troubles. Or verse 32, singleness, it's an opportunity for undivided devotion to the Lord. What an opportunity. He, uh, Paul kind of paints this picture of somebody who's above reproach in their sexual conduct, who's undistracted by spouse or family, and who's ready and waiting at the service of the lord and he even quite kind of elusively talks about how singleness uh, for he who refrains from marriage will do even better which i'm sure we can talk about after the service as well now this leads right into our last point for today that jesus is enough singleness points to the sufficiency of jesus that's the meaning of singleness singleness points to the sufficiency of jesus now i've just shared a few reasons that stack up for why we might seek to voluntarily choose singleness i know i now just want to highlight for the single christian whether out of choice or not this person in their singleness how they can point to how good and abundant christ is now, before we chat about what that means for singleness, to point to sufficiency, I'll first share briefly how I've come to say that all single Christians point to Jesus' sufficiency. I'll, I'll tell you what I'm, I'm talking about here. Uh, this has to do with 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. You might have heard of this idea of the gift of singleness. What's that about? Is that like a special gift that only some single people have? A special ability to stay single? Or is a gift given to all single people? Now, the dominant contemporary evangelical idea or interpretation is that Paul is speaking of like a very special gift given to just a few single people. Now, I actually think this conclusion is pretty problematic when you think of pastoral situations. I mean, what hope would there be for a single person without the possibility of marriage, Who also doesn't have this special kind of booster shot of singleness what hope would there be for that person how would you encourage that person i feel much more content in seeing the gift of singleness as simply the state of singleness kind of like how you might describe your gift of marriage as simply the state of your marriage now this is quite a tricky theological kind of debate. It's not worth going into detail on, but you can uh, read much more about it in uh, Dani Treweek's book, one of the ones I posted before, uh, where she goes into depth on this topic. She even talks about how, in fact, the very early, the earliest commentators actually saw this this idea of the gift of singleness as simply the state. So even though, um, yeah, so you can look into that in that book. Now back to the point at hand. singleness points to the sufficiency of jesus now i think the reason it's important to consider this today is that even though there are some very solid reasons to pursue singleness singleness is still defined by the absence of a good thing by the absence of marriage and family and kids i think it's very clear that's a good thing and worth celebrating worth kind of throwing out donuts whenever we can right (laughs) worth honoring but often for those without this good gift and speaking from my own experience there will be times of great longing great grief and frustration and anger that that's not a gift that i might enjoy in this life and yet the very absence of marriage and of children and all of that does not mean that singleness is deficient And in fact, that's what gives singleness its meaning and its significance, the very absence of a good thing. Hopefully you're following me with this. Uh, Dani Treweek, she concludes in her book about the meaning of marriage. For in such absence is located a vitally unique understanding of the presence of Christ, and so also our eternity. This is the true meaning of singleness. So Jesus really is enough. And I'm regularly so encouraged by my single friends who preach that loud and proud. Jesus is enough because he's secured every spiritual blessing already. So if you lose the gift of marriage, if that happens to you, then in terms of spiritual blessing, you have not lost anything. You are still blessed entirely in Christ. What security this brings us in Jesus. See, now in Christ, the eunuch is no less blessed than those with a quiver full of children. They are blessed entirely the same. Now, given all that we've seen about singleness as we've sweeped through Scripture today, I want to share some brief uh, principles to apply this thinking. Uh, for single people, uh, use your gift to bless others and serve them. Use your gift to bless others and serve them. You know, gladly start washing the dishes when you've just been gone over to a family of six and there's there's chaos in the home. You you don't have to wash the dishes. Uh, I'm sure they'll won't even notice if you don't. But gladly use your gift of singleness to serve that family in that moment. You're both better off by forming these deep friendships. Uh, and and on that note, actually invite yourself over to people's homes. Sometimes that's an easier setup. I've done that many many times. Uh, Figure out the dates and maybe just don't rock up out of nowhere. But you're both better off from spending that time together. And as you spend that time with those families, get to know their wife or their husband. Get to know their children. Remember their names and their interests. And for single people, remember the meaning of singleness and that your meaning doesn't come from your utility. How much you can serve. Sometimes this gets kind of thrown out there. For you as a single person you have inherent dignity and worth and you are essential in the community even if your utility is totally diminished Uh, now for married people consider how you might use your gift of family to bless those without i respect and value your single brothers and sisters Uh, don't degrade their maturity because of their marital status don't degrade their purpose but you know, constantly trying to set them up with the next person that comes along. Unless, of course, they ask for it and they're quite looking for a partner. But constantly putting the pressure of marriage on to people who are single, it doesn't quite reflect what we've seen in 1 Corinthians. See, singleness is alright. It is actually good to remain as you are. And now for all of us, our tendency is to idolise one over the other. If we're single, we might idolize marriage. If we're married, we might idolize um, singleness. But today, I hope we've been encouraged to see that both states were created by God to be equally enjoyed, and each wonderfully complements the other, as they both point to Christ. I might finish in prayer, uh, and actually, after I pray, I think we okay. We may not do Q and A. We might be tight. What do you reckon, Adele? We'll do two questions, so have, have a think, two questions, uh, let's pray really briefly. Thank you Lord for all that we've learnt today uh, about singleness, thank you for the great purpose you've given every one of us and that our marital status, whatever it might be, can point to Christ. Help us to think more about this and apply it deeply in our lives, Amen.